0: And while up here, up here, I'll just go ahead and preach. And so it's going to be with you. I uh, look forward to our time together. There is an outline that's available for you. I'm not going to be able to cover everything that's on this. And so I put it in print so that you can have time when you spend time alone with the Lord. Trust that you do. There's some wonderful passages for you to read through about a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. And he's triggered in my mind a question. What does God really want? And when we look at Jehoshaphat and his life, we're in this chronicles of the kings and uh, one of the questions that comes to all of our minds what does god really want think about the fact that there's a football game this afternoon and the super bowl and a lot of people wonder whose side is god on i found this little chart that shows that 88% of americans don't think god cares about the super bowl which is shocking to me shocking to me cuz i love i love football i love sports and uh, there's about uh, 8% that think god does care well, probably, probably, you know, for statistical purposes, God doesn't care, but I, I hang out with Jesus pretty regularly, and so I think that I have a little sense of where his heart's at, and if Jesus did care, if he really did care, and maybe he does care, but if he did care, I think he's pulling for the patriots. So I just want to let you know that it uh, that may be a little weighted on the field here this afternoon, and so I don't want anybody to be disappointed and i'm going to give you reason here in a little bit so hang in there i'm going to give you reason for god to maybe just just maybe maybe not but maybe he does care so i want to give you a reason for that in just a moment so getting to the text we're in this wonderful series love the series we're talking about the kings we talked about Saul and David and Solomon and then the kingdom splits and you can see on the chart that's on the screen we're now down to the king called jehoshaphat for the most part, Jehoshaphat was a good king. He loved the Lord. He walked according to the God's steps that he ordained for him. And so we're gonna learn some positive things about Jehoshaphat's life. But I relate to Jehoshaphat in that as committed as he was and then continued to be, he would have moments, a moment, a section of his life where he compromised. So I want to talk about commitment, compromise, and then renewal as he ruled over the southern tribe of Judah. It's actually Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin was small, so you only typically see Judah in reference to that southern tribe. And then King Ahab was one of the most wicked kings in the history of the nation of Israel. King Ahab was in the north. And we'll find out a little bit more about him and his relationship with Jehoshaphat. So this is the king. Why is this relevant? Because God gives us Old Testament stories to teach us about life and the way God wants to work in our lives. The first thing that I noticed about Jehoshaphat was this verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 3, that God wants a personal commitment for us today that would be to Jesus Christ. For him in those days, it was to Yahweh God that they would worship in the temple. And so the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days. When David early on was king, he was a righteous, beautiful king, constantly seeking God's will. It was a beautiful thing to see that innocent, naive heart saying, God, should I go to battle here? Should I go to war there? Should I do this? What should I do? Should I build a temple for you? God was constantly directing David's life. Jehoshaphat was just like that. And if God were to ever have put me in the Scriptures... I would hope God would say the same thing about me. And I hope you say the same thing about you. That if your name gets thrown into the Holy Scriptures and the Lord was with Dave Mitchell because he followed the example of his father, whether my earthly father, John Mitchell, or King David, a spiritual father of sorts, I hope that you would be able to put your name in there as well. Because he had this commitment. So I thought... What are the signs of his commitment of following? What does that look like, following the Lord? There's three things that Jehoshaphat did that made God put in Scripture for all of eternity that he followed me. Sign number one of commitment. That is, he removed any unholy alliance in his life. Very simply, very quickly, Jehoshaphat, he didn't seek the Baals. He didn't seek false idolatry. So he removes sin from his life. God says for us, if you're really committed to me, you're going to remove yourself from sin. You won't keep doing it. You'll have lapses, but you move from it. That's sign number one of true commitment. Sign number two is this, that he would pursue God's word and God's righteousness. He had that as his goal. That was his pursuit. Notice the text in 2 Chronicles 17 where we find these things about Jehoshaphat. He says, Jehoshaphat sought the God of his father, and he followed his commandments and did not act as Israel, King Ahab in the north. Very wicked, very evil. He says, he didn't do like he did, King Ahab. So the Lord established the kingdom in his control, and he took great pride in the ways of the Lord. And I highlight in yellow the word established, the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word brings out this character that I put on the screen here. It's the sense of well-being which results from being under God's hand. God created you and me. God wove together our DNA. God has given us gifts and passions. God's given us minds to think with and hearts to pursue His will. And God knows the circumstances of our lives. And one thing I know that God wants to do is for us what He did for Jehoshaphat, to establish us. That when we live according to the way God designed us to live, According to his word, in his righteousness, spirit-led, empowered lives, life will go better. Not prosperity, not perfection, but there's a sense of God's presence to help me in no matter what. That's what God wants, to establish us under his command, his word, his righteousness. Third sign, first sign, I'm leaving sin. Second sign, pursuit of God's Word, His righteousness to be established under God's mighty hand. Third sign, that is when my life begins to influence those around me. When I pursue God's righteousness, I begin to impact people around me in a very positive, honoring way to God. That's a sign of commitment. And notice what Jehoshaphat's life did. Now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah so they did not make war with against Jehoshaphat Now the word dread is a little bit tricky for us but the Hebrew concept behind the word dread can mean I am in awe and I am in reverence and respect When we walk according to God's word when we are in pursuit of his righteousness when we're not constantly hypocritically saying one thing but doing something else, there's something that happens. There's influence in people around me because there is an awe, there's a respect, there's a reverence. This is the influence that God wants to have in us and through us. And that's what happened to Jehoshaphat. Three signs he left sin, pursued God, and then had impact upon the people around him. Let me give you an illustration. As you know, the Patriots are playing in the Super Bowl tonight, this afternoon. Yes, I'm back at the Super Bowl again. One of the players on the Patriots teams is a young guy by the name of Matthew Slater that a lot of you know. He grew up here at Calvary Church, and uh, from preschool on up. And now he's a captain with the the Super Bowl-bound New England Patriots. He's played there twice before in the Super Bowl and uh, has a ring to show for it. Well, Matthew Slater is one of the captains and one of the most respected players on that team by Robert Kraft, the owner of the team. He's spoken highly of Matthew. Well, this last week, a lot of the captains and a lot of the players sit around in this big hall, and uh, writers, newspaper people come and interview them and ask them questions. And so it's everybody's sitting at a different table, well Matthew was sitting at one of his tables and he was being interviewed and someone asked him the question about a spiritual life and what does it mean to be saved talk about influence of a man who is committed to Christ I want you to hear and see what Matthew said so let's take a look and listen
1: you have to understand who God is and who his son is and you have to understand what God says about your sin and from there you realize that hey you know, I am a sinful person, and my sin has separated me from uh, an eternal, perfect God. And, but there's a backup plan to that. He sent his son, Jesus, and I believe that you know, Jesus is, is the son of God, is God. He came here, he died on the cross for my sins, your sins, everybody's sins, everybody who's willing to accept that truth. And uh, if you're able to put your trust in him and, and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, Then from there, you can initiate a relationship with it. But I also believe that repentance is a big part of that as well. Um, You have to turn from your old life of sin and try to, you know, model uh, a Christ-like life. And I think that that's something that we'll never fully figure out on this side of glory, but it's certainly one day at a time process that I've been so blessed to be on uh, for the last 25 or so years.
0: So you like that? So who are you rooting for this afternoon? The Raiders? Oh, Slater. I thought it was the Raiders. One of the players on the team is Devin McCourty. He was asked about his own spirituality, and he said this. I think for me a lot has been with our chaplain, Jack Easterby. I met him way back we were there a couple years ago. Oh, by the way, my good friend Jack. And Matthew Slater. Matthew Slater, one of the leaders. They've been great leaders. So for me, our weekly Bible studies, Monday and then Saturday before the games, I just try to take that message in my life each week. It's always a new lesson, trying to stay in the Word. And I think that's the biggest thing. We, we talk about it individually, and the group of guys is just staying in the Word and trying to live our life by that. And here's what I love about this. Not just coming to Bible study two times a week and then leaving it there. Rather, we take it outside. We put it to work. I think the biggest thing is I don't think of it as leadership, but just holding each other accountable. I think that's been the biggest thing of our team. A group of guys just trying to be good men, good fathers, good sons, good husbands. We're always talking about that, trying to encourage each other. You know, we get a lot of bad press about a lot of football players. But there's folks like this out there that are committed to Christ. Removing sin... Pursuing God and his word and his righteousness, then having influence. What greater platform is there than the Super Bowl that God now has given to these men to influence others for Jesus Christ? You and I, we have platforms. They're not Super Bowl, but they are platforms through which we can influence others for Christ. The challenge is that sometimes we will be tempted to compromise and very quickly this is what happened to Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begins to live his life. He is committed to God, Yahweh. But then he makes an unholy alliance. Compromise, a sign of compromise when I have unholy alliances. It says there in 2 Chronicles 18, now Jehoshaphat had a great riches and honor so God had blessed him. Blessed him with great wealth and power. But then he allied himself by marriage with King Ahab, who was one of the most wicked kings in the world. Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. And this alliance then became a corrosive thing for his spiritual life. And God says, don't do that. An unholy alliance, here's the way I would define it. It's any person, activity, or thing that distracts you from the character and the commands of God. Now we know there's a lot of things. I don't need to say I hope. That the unholy alliance with pornography or adultery or stealing or if you're an alcoholic getting around booze or if you're a drug addict getting around those who do heroin, we should know if we have a reasonable way of thinking about life that those are unholy alliances. I'm more concerned for my own life about those alliances I make that become unholy because of distractions from the commands and character of God. Let me illustrate. There's a young man that I've known, Mike, for many years, and his wife came to me and says, our marriage is in, ter- in terrible trouble. And I said, what's the problem with the marriage? She said, it's softball. Well, I played softball with Mike uh, years ago. And I was a little distressed thinking, oh, my goodness, have I led him the wrong way. She said, the problem is that he's on all these teams. He's gone on Saturday, he's gone on Sunday, and he's always in tournaments. And he's not spending time with me and the kids, nor is he coming to church. And for Mike, softball, as innocent as it seems, became an unholy alliance because it became a distraction from the commands and character of God to grow. Let me give you example number two. I know a fellow by the name of Ed. Ed was a nonbeliever when he joined our sports league of softball. But Ed hung out with other men who loved Jesus, and those men witnessed to Ed, and then Ed gave his life to Christ for salvation, and actually became a missionary later in life, having gone through seminary. That became a very holy alliance. When what you and I do, as innocent as it is, it's sort of like God gives us freedom to do it. When it becomes an unholy alliance, it's taking us from the commands and character of God, Christ. But that same thing can be a very good thing. Our jobs can be unholy alliances as it takes us away from the priorities of Scripture. But it can be a great thing if I say, that's a mission field where I can have influence because of my commitment to Christ. It can be a very rich and wonderful opportunity. Sports, hobbies, habits, Starbucks, all of those can be great alliances when they are my influence to others but they become an unholy alliance when they take me away from the commands and the character of Jesus Christ. We should not ever allow what can be a very good thing to be an unholy alliance from the commands and character of God. There's also a sign of compromise because he failed to be a complete student of God's Word and and here is a complete distortion King Ahab wanted to hear from God as to whether he should go to war. So Jehoshaphat says, tell us what God says. And he hated the prophet because the prophet says, don't go. So he hated the man who gave him the word. And it became a distortion of God's word. And you can read, it's a very amazing account in 2, 2 Chronicles 18 of the spirit, the evil spirit that misled through hundreds of prophets that gave advice contrary to God's word. There's lots of evil spirits giving advice conflicting with the commands and character of God today. Be careful. That's a sign of compromise, of distortion and distraction from God's Word. And then finally, there's a sign of compromise where I begin to make bad and stupid decisions. I don't know about you, but I often will make stupid decisions. And they come back to bite me. My sister-in-law has said, when we don't learn from the lessons of life, we're paying the dumb tax. And she would say, don't pay the dumb tax. Or I know that it's wrong, but I've not learned my lesson, so I keep repeating the same mistake. I think the stupidest thing I've ever seen in Scripture is this verse. Here you go. It's Jehoshaphat. King Ahab and Jehoshaphat are going to go to war against a a country called Ramoth-Gilead. And as they go out to war, this is the advice that King Ahab gives to Jehoshaphat. Then the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your kingly robes. And they went out to battle. Now, you get it? King Ahab says, I'm in camouflage because I don't want them to know that I'm the king. So Jehoshaphat, you put on all the king clothing. And they'll see you, in essence, They'll kill you instead of me. Jehoshaphat does that. Well, that's the dumb tax. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in Scripture. Why? What's he thinking? How many times have I heard my parents say, David, what were you thinking? And I could give you lots of those stories, but I don't have time. So for the sake of time, I will tell you all my bad stories. But they're there. It reminds me of this cartoon. I love the far side. Not out there anymore, but I love this. A couple of deer, bullseye. Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. That's Jehoshaphat. Bummer of a clothing, Jehoshaphat. And so Jehoshaphat goes out there and they start shooting at him. He screams out to God, God save me. And God saves him. He does something stupid, but God still saves him. I'm glad that the grace of God is greater than my stupid decisions. And then another arrow flies at random, it says in that passage. It finds Ahab and a crack in his armor and kills him. You cannot camouflage yourself from God's rule. But you can make stupid decisions that God's grace will overcome. And so these are signs of of compromise. And, And what God wants to do is to bring us through those compromising moments when you and I will make stupid decisions, when you and I will compromise God's Word, when you and I will have unholy alliances that begin to decay this commitment that we want to have for God. But God likes to renew us. So God brings a fellow by the name of Jehu to Jehoshaphat. He says, I want to bring you back, Jehoshaphat, from this compromised day of alliance with Ahab, going to war, doing stupid things. I want to bring you back. So this is what Jehu says to Jehoshaphat. But there is some good in you. I love that. Jehoshaphat, there's some good in you. I need to know that God knows that there's good in me that He still wants to bring out. For you have removed the Asherah from the land, the idolatry, and you've set your heart to seek God. God loves that no matter how bad we've ever been in the past. God loves that. Then he goes on to say, So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem. He went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, which is in the north, and brought them back to the Lord and the God of their fathers. He brought them back. God wants hearts that continually seek him. In commitment, go through compromise, but he loves to bring us back. He wants us to return. I'm going to give you an example of commitment that overcame compromise. There's a couple that maybe some of you remember. Mark Munzing grew up here, at Calvary Church. Mark and I have stayed in touch as they got uh, moved away, came back with his wife from Texas one day, met her, moved back east, and works back there for uh, his purposes of his career. And then Mark wrote an uh, email to me this last year and said, to Abby, his wife is pregnant, thrilled, looking forward to Tavish. The baby's name is Tavish and they found somewhere mid-course of her pregnancy that Tavish had a very severe genetic disorder. Trisonomy, I, I, something like that, I don't, I'm not a doctor but if you know anything about those things, that you, oh yeah, we've known someone who had that, it's very severe. And they might have had an advice to say, you know, it's not worth keeping the baby. You might as well take him. But they persisted, knowing that he would not live long when he's born. But they said, I will not take that life. So she delivered that child, and here they are, that day of the delivery, and little Tavish in her hands. Tavish lived just days after that, then died. Then they had a memorial service for her, just for him, just the last couple of weeks ago. And Mark sent me a video of the one-hour memorial service for Tavish. I was blessed by what I saw there. We don't have an hour but I took about two minutes of Abby's memorializing a letter to Tavish. And what I want you to see and what I want you to think about is this. That's heartbreaking. But think, we are Tavish. We are broken. We are imperfect. But God desperately loves us. See yourself in that light as you hear Abby's testimony and word a little Tavish.
2: Um, so I wrote a letter to Tavish that I wanted to read to everybody. So it says, Dear Tavish, the day we found out Mommy was pregnant changed our lives forever. We were so excited and scared at the same time. We had no idea what to expect, but we loved you already halfway through my pregnancy, we found out that you were going to be very different from other children. We were shocked and scared. We didn't know what to do, but God knew. He introduced us to people who had also walked this road and knew how to guide us through it. We prayed for you every day. We hoped that the doctors would be wrong. We knew that there wasn't much chance that you would stay with us long, but we loved you, and you fought to live, so we fought to give you that chance. The day you were born was the best day of my life. I finally got to hold you and kiss your perfect face. We could not have loved you more. The doctors thought we would lose you right then, but as soon as they gave you to me, you started to cry and we knew you were going to keep on fighting. We made sure you were taken care of for the next few days and we became hopeful as you continued to do well. We held you while we sang songs and read to you our favorite books from when we were kids. Then you started to decline, and nothing we did made it better. During the next day and a half, we watched as you continued to fight for life. And as long as we knew that you wanted to keep fighting, we continued to fight for you. As soon as you told us it was time to go, we hugged you close, comforted you, and kissed you. Then we said goodbye. Throughout all of this, you never gave up. You fought for life as long as your body would let you. We are so proud of you, and we love you so much. We're looking forward to the day when we will get to see you again, and thank you for the blessing you are. Love, Mommy and Daddy.
0: I love those words. I think of what commitment does it take to say that to your little baby that God's taking to heaven. How powerful is that? I love that they did not compromise when the time of test occurred. And I love the spiritual image that you can see the imperfections on Tabish there, some are on the outside, some are on the inside. But what I love is that the imperfections of my life, God would say the very same things to me, that whatever is broken, whatever is imperfect, wherever I have failed, wherever I don't rise to the level that I think I should be at, God would say those same words to me and in his scripture he talks to me about how much he loves me. Imperfections and all. Because he seeks to make things better for me. That's commitment that overcomes compromise. Whether Matthew Slater playing in the Super Bowl, the greatest success that a football player can ever have, Or a Mark and Abby Munzing putting to rest a little baby boy by the name of Tavish. Both outstanding stories of commitment and influence to people like me and you. The reason they can do that is the reason all of us can do that through Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite our leaders to prepare for communion. I'd like for us to spend this next 10 minutes or so reflecting upon Christ and his love for you and for me, that we are that imperfect little baby. We are that imperfect person, that Christ in his love wants to redeem and forgive and cleanse and and bring us back and let us enjoy his life and the life that he died to provide for us. So if you confess your sins to Christ, He will forgive you. And then we take these elements to remember that sacrifice of His body, the bread, the cup, His blood, that He loved us so much that He wants to hold us as ugly as we may feel inside. God says, no, I see some good in you that Christ wants to come and redeem, that I want to embrace you again. So as we receive this communion, would you reflect upon the fact that God, you do love me and you seek to draw me close. Imperfections and all. And this bread and this cup symbolizes that powerful sacrifice of Christ to draw us in. Let me pray for them as they come and their past. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the bread and the cup that helps us to remember the sacrifice of Christ that renews us day by day, that we would be the committed ones, not in compromise, but seeking you out to serve you well. Thank you, Father, as we bring these elements in remembrance of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hold them, and we'll take it together. loves to remind us time and time again how much he loves us. As the song says, how much he wants to continually make all things new. I'll stumble any given day, whether it's just outright rebellion of a heart or just dumb stupid things that I should have known better. But God, he loves to bring us back. Loves to remind us of his love. So the elements become that constant regular reminder for us, of his love. And so Jesus took that bread as he gathered with his disciples that first time and said, men, this is my body, which is for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. So shall we. And then Jesus took that cup knowing that in days he would be shedding blood upon the cross is a means by which we can be forgiven by the grace of God, not through any works of our own, but simply His grace to give to us what we can never gain through hard work, forgiveness. And so he says, this is a new covenant in my blood. He said to drink it in remembrance of me. As we think about Jehoshaphat for just one more moment, what I love about Jehoshaphat is he had a commitment, then he compromised. But God brought him back through Jehu. He said, I see good in you. Bring back the people. He brings them back. What happens next? Enemy nations begin to war against him. You would think, okay, I'm right with God. Everything's going to be good. But it wasn't. Enemy nations of Moab and Ammon and Edom, these three nations begin to war against him. And what did Jehoshaphat do? He turned to the Lord. He learned his lesson. God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this battle. And what happens is they have this great sign of renewal, of worship. It says in Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord in response to all this oppression that's coming upon him. He says, I can't do anything but just turn to you, God, because I can't handle this. I've learned my lesson. I've paid the dumb tax. So God, who else do I have but you? So he turns to him and worship. And notice what worship does. When they worship together, that strengthens strengthen their trust in God's power. There's something that happens when you corporately come and worship with one another. There is this power in this presence of God. Notice in 2 Chronicles 20, it says... Listen to me and put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. There's that word, God's hands upon you. He appointed, and those who praised him in the holy attire, as they went out before the army, said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. The first line of going to the enemy armies was a line of people in worship. When you and I, we don't have Ammon and Edom and Moabites attacking us. But we've got spiritual war going all around us. And part of the victory comes as we worship together. And it begins to disband the powers that would influence us. Notice, worship helps us overcome those attacks. Notice what happens when they begin to worship. And they began singing and praising. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which is Edom, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. Now, it doesn't mean we get rid of all the enemies of our country, but it does mean when there is spiritual war against us, one of the greatest offenses we can have is a corporate worship where we show the power and the glory of God as we come before Him and honor Him And then finally, when they worshiped together, it stirred their hearts with joy. It helped them to overcome the oppression, the disappointment, the discouragement to see these three powerful nations coming against them. It says, every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, the king right before them, returning to Jerusalem with great joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. There's a sense of victory that I am part of something greater than myself. And this worship that corporately gathers together shows the power of God working through all of us to encourage one another. And there was a sense of power that that I think that I desire for Calvary Church. That we've got a lot of great worship that goes on here. I love the folks that lead us. One of the things that we learned in our recent survey is that a lot of people only worship here twice a month. We're church home. That's great. We love it. But twice a month. I'm not sure if that's... The sweet spot for my God, my Lord. I would encourage us, and I don't want to sound like the old curmudgeon on the Muppets, but I want to encourage you that if you're twice a month or once a month person, begin by adding a Sunday. Because corporate worship does something, it does something for us, and it does something against the enemy that wants to take us out, to compromise our faith to make it just another activity of the week. It's something more powerful than that. It goes on to say, And they came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was upon all the kingdoms of the land, where they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. There's something powerful that goes against the spiritual forces that are against us, Ephesians 6. There's something powerful that happens when I regularly am part of God's corporate worship. I want private worship. We should worship God every day in all that we do. But God says there's something powerful that when the people came together, there was a victory that was occurring. So I love Martin Luther's words. Martin Luther wrote, At home in my own house, there's no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. It puts me into a place of the presence of God that is unlike any other experience I have. And I yearn for that for me, for you, for us together. That we are that victory. Shouting out the glory of God through corporate worship. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you're part of that today. So I want us to close our time together as we worship the Lord once again. Part of that worship is through giving. We're going to pass the offering and we make no Uh, We have no shame, but worship is giving. Worship is giving of our lives, our time, our service, our talent, our pocketbook. It's part of saying, God, I don't own it. You do. You know best. This is what you say. This is what I do because I love you. But worship is also through praise, honoring him, giving honor and glory to him, singing to him words of praise, singing words of praise about him, whatever it may be that God would be praised. So let me pray for our offering And then let's worship the Lord together. Father God, we thank you that you're a mighty God. And as we bring this offering to you and we bring our offering of worship to you, God, I pray that you would be powerfully working in each of our lives to strengthen us, our trust, our faith, our joy. God, your peace would be part of this. That whatever the oppression, whatever the discouragement, whatever that some of us may be going through that is hard, that God, our worship of you, would renew our hearts to be the people that you love and to experience it fully. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.